You can have a seat. Um, I'm going to invite Leah up. I think, yeah, right there. Mike's right there. And uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 20 this morning. Leah is going to read the word. Oh, yeah, you need this, don't you? John chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 10. John 20, verse 1 to verse 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. And both of them were running together. But the disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. It's a familiar story, isn't it? You know why I'm so excited this morning? It's not just Easter hype. It's not just I'm a pastor and it's Easter, so I gotta be excited. Do you know why I'm excited this morning? And I need to tell you why I'm excited this morning. Because the forgiving grace of Jesus is realized in my life even today. I woke up early this morning and uh, I love Jesus, but I'm far from perfect. And And the Lord woke me up very early this morning and I was very not up for getting up very early this morning. (laughs) And I just remember arguing a little bit. I felt like just this weight was on me. I was like, I don't, I'm just, I'm not going to get up this morning. It was very, very early in the morning. Um, And I I just, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and he said, and said, can you, you can trust me. Like you can get up and have enough energy for the day. But I laid there for another half hour, and I disobeyed. I disobeyed God. And then I get up, and then I'm headed to the church this morning, and I don't want to wake the the kids up with coffee in the morning on Sundays, so I usually stop by Tim Hortons in Oak Bank, and and it's a 6 a.m. crew there, and the Lord speaks and again whispers to my heart and says, you got to tell them about that I'm alive. Like normally for me, that I'm... I'm game. Let's do that. Okay. And I chickened out this morning. And I got to church feeling like an absolute failure. And like, how can I preach this morning? And I got here around just 6.30 and I had to wrestle. And God showed me (laughs) fresh 
his forgiving grace. And he loves me, and I confess my sin, and he forgives me. And so this morning, because he's alive, so am I. (laughs) And so can you be. So this isn't Easter hype. This is a reality of the soul. Anybody else putting their hand up for that this morning? This is our reality. We need forgiveness and grace this morning. Jesus is risen. The word says that he is the firstborn of the dead. Well, if he's the firstborn of the dead, that means that we too, when we believe in him, will be resurrected. We have been spiritually made alive in Christ, though we were once dead in our sin. Yet one day there's this wonderful promise coming where we will be resurrected from the dead, literally, in our bodies. Because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. We will be made alive bodily when he returns and makes all things new. This whole idea of the resurrection of Jesus, some come through church, they grew up in church, and they go through it, and it's like, well, why is it such a big deal? I mean, it's exciting, it's pretty neat, like he rose from the dead. Some are indifferent, curious, think it's kind of crazy, and so don't really give it much thought. Sure, those Christians, they think that this man uh, was dead and now is alive again. Why does it matter so very much on Easter Sunday that we make a big deal of Jesus being raised from the dead? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can flip there if you'd like, but I'll just read it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 16 to 23 says this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So it's like, what is the point if Jesus isn't actually alive? You're wasting your time. If Jesus isn't alive, then why are we sitting in this church? You just go, you do you to the best of your ability and live for yourself. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, we've been forgiven of sins and we have a Savior and a Lord that we can follow. It says, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus is alive, you can be too. (laughs) For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Jesus will have life eternal, life everlasting. The death and resurrection of Jesus is of first importance, according to the writers of Scripture. It really matters. That's the Apostle Paul writing there. He says, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then all of this is a big old waste of time. 
because it's just another guy who claimed to have everything figured out, but he's dead. But Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. He's alive. Leah read for us this morning John, the Apostle John's account of the resurrection. And in Jesus' resurrection, he shows his power over death and the curse of sin. In John's account, we read a passage that is intended to bring people to a belief in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. That's why these words are written down for us, so that we would actually look at them and think about it and weigh it and come to a conclusion of belief in Jesus. This isn't a mere story. It's not so that we can have a a moral reform happen. It's not just so that you can do the do's and not do the don'ts. That's not what this is about. It's because God, Jesus, God in the flesh, he came and he dealt with the curse of sin, and he dealt with human brokenness, which if we're actually just pause for a moment and actually get real, all of us know, every single one of us know, in a deep way, the brokenness of humanity. And Jesus came and he dealt with that, and he provides a way out. He provided the healing, he provided the pardon for sin that we all desperately need. And so when Jesus is raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit, according to the will of the Father, when Jesus is raised, he appears not to Caesar. He appears not to the the power people, but he appears to those who he loves dearly and who love him. Those who he was in relationship with. He appears to, to Mary or Mary's the first one in this passage that we read. We don't actually see Jesus in this particular passage that we read yet. But we see here three times where people saw something about the resurrection. John, he's the one that says the one whom Jesus loved. Remember there was Peter, it said, and then there was the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, That's John, he's writing about himself. So John, the one whom Jesus loved, He's, he likes to show off. I love that he shows off, and he's, he's apparently a much better runner than Peter because he makes sure that he notes that he got there first. But John gets there. Again, your Bible's into, into John chapter 20, just to uh, proofread me here. Um, John gets there first, and he stops. He stops outside, and, um, and he sees the empty tomb. He stoops in, he, he takes a little look, he, he sees the empty tomb. But then Peter catches up, he rushes in, and he sees the evidence a little bit closer, and he's looking around, and he's looking at the linens, he's looking at the face cloth folded up and placed down. He's pondering it a bit. And then John finally makes his way in, And when John makes his way in, he sees, he gets it, and he believes. That's how this passage tracks. I want to jump off of of this today in a little bit of of an out-of-context way. But I think to jump off these three ways of seeing today, it's a good way to describe how we in the modern world view or see 
the resurrection of Jesus. How do you see the resurrection of Jesus today? Where are you at? Let's look at that today. So we see the first time John and Peter are running. John gets there first. John stops and he says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. The word used for saw here in this passage is the word, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but blepo, B-L-E-P-O. That's the Greek word that's used here, blepo, which is glancing, seeing with your eyes, kind of from a distance, just kind of glancing quickly and, and looking at it. Okay, so John gets there and he quickly looks at it. In many ways today, people do the same thing with Jesus. It's kind of our cultural indifference to what's happened here. You cannot go anywhere in our culture and, and thankfully, and not say you have not at least heard something about Jesus. Now, there are places in the world Now, tons of people here don't actually know the story of Jesus or the truth of Jesus, but at least there's something happened, right? Like we mark our calendars by his birth. Our entire system is is set up around Jesus. Something happened back then, but don't really care to look into it. It's just some crazy old myth. It's something to keep people in line, just something so the powers that be can, can, you know, all these arguments. Like, you hear it all the time. In fact, I would have probably agreed with most of that at one time. It's our, it's our culture's utter dismissal, disinterest, honestly, disinterest, uh, distraction, disapproval. It gets to the point of disapproval for those simpletons who would believe such a thing. So they dismiss it. They don't look at it. They leave it alone. Thankfully, John doesn't stop here, but that's what that first word there, saw, means. He saw. He just saw from a distance. He, like with his eyes, saw it. He could have turned away and and gone about his day. Thankfully, he didn't. And then there's another time that the word saw is used, and it's the next verse. Simon Peter came, following him, because he's slow. And he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And so the word that's actually Translated to saw in this verse is the word theorio, which is where we get the English word theorize from, okay? So it's, it's this idea of there's a gazing, there's a intent, there's a looking and trying to figure something out, gazing, making sense of, to theorize, to, and Peter, you notice he, he moves in closer to examine what's happening here. You can just kind of imagine Peter standing in the tomb where his friend, his Lord, was laid there dead. He had just been beaten horrifically. Should be a mess. But here are the linens. Just by themselves. You can imagine them trying to put the pieces together. And so this is where some people find themselves. They think what Jesus taught is nice. He was a nice teacher. The way he stands for love is pretty awesome and really cool. But 
when it comes to this whole resurrection thing, uh, it becomes a bit far-fetched for some. Where we can come is this place of actually walking into it, stopping and using your brains and thinking about it for a while. Now, there's something that the author C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. It's basically to say anybody who's lived before us doesn't know as much as we do. They aren't smart people. They're just simple, ancient people. That's not the case. People were brilliant. We just have built upon our technological advances, but their minds were just as capable as our minds. So, right since Jesus actually rose from the dead, there's been theories to try to disprove this. The problem is, if you actually go in and theorize and look at it, none of those theories add up other than Jesus rose from the dead. I'm just going to look at a few really quickly, and it won't do it justice if you're actually truly in this place, but I encourage you to continue to be in that place and search earnestly. There's kind of three main super popular ones that people use to discredit the resurrection of Jesus. Because really, if you're any sort of um, thinking person who looks a tiny little bit into it, Jesus was a human who lived and who had a ministry and who lived at the time he did, was with the people he did. Like, secular historians do not deny that. Jesus was there Jesus did die on a cross. Now is he alive today? That's the big question. That's the big question. So some people, because they don't want to believe and they think that those simple ancient people, they were just duped. And so here's one theory, the swoon theory. This is where Jesus faked his death. Some people say that, well, Jesus, he was a carpenter. He walked a lot. He was in such good shape that he went to the cross and he endured the cross And then he was taken down and he was actually still alive and he faked his death and they put him in the tomb and then he came out of the tomb alive a couple days later. Now there's there's just a lot of holes if you just use your minds with that. There's just a lot of holes there. First is he endured before hanging on the cross gruesome torture. It is said that it would be like a shotgun blast to the back at close range. I'm not trying to be exaggerate here. He was in a horrible way. He was in a horrible way before he went to the cross. He couldn't even finish carrying the crossbeam to the place where he was going because he was in such bad shape. The Romans, the Romans were experts at killing people. This is what they did. They would not have been duped into this man still being alive, taking him off the cross. When it's, it's said, it's recorded in scripture, as well as uh, secular um, historical documents, that when Jesus was, was crucified, you know, they, they stabbed his side, and out came water and blood, it says in the scripture. Well, now with our medical understanding. Um, When you die like that in suffocation, which is what you eventually end up dying from on the cross, 
you have this, this clear fluid that starts to build up. And, when the Ro- and the Romans knew this. They called it water, but it was a clear bodily fluid that would build up. And so when they stabbed him, this fluid, along with blood, came out. And that means that person is dead. That person is dead. So when he appeared to people, he came out. Remember, he was really, really, like, really, 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 really beaten up. Really. When he appeared to people, people didn't recognize him at first. And they didn't go to the place of, oh my goodness, we need to nurse your wounds back, hide out for a few months, and make sure that you get healthy again. No, he was just walking around. And he was seen by many, many witnesses. So already you can think, okay, the swoon theory doesn't work very well, does it? One of the um, one of the theories that started right when Jesus started appearing to people was the one that somebody stole his body. Somebody must have stolen his body, and they and they faked the empty tomb. When they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to to the soldiers and said, "Tell people." His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. This is one of the oldest arguments to try to disprove the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead. The only question that we have to stop and ask there is, who had the motive to do this? Who had the motive to go and steal the body of Jesus? Certainly it wasn't the Jewish leaders because they wanted him dead. They needed him dead in order to stand on what they were accusing him of. The Romans did not want him. He was a threat to Rome at the end of his time being interrogated by Pilate. They didn't really care about this Jewish carpenter anyways. The only people that might have is what they tried pinning it on, was his disciples. But it's awfully hard to come up with this plan. Once again, just thinking about how he appeared to people after and he was better other than some, some scars. It's amazing to think that the disciples, 10 of them, in, uh, as according to church history, 10 of them went to their graves, they went to their deaths because they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead and is the savior of the world. These are people in a Jewish context where if you believed in a false Messiah, that is a, that is a way bigger deal than it is in our context today. These men... If you think, can you get any 10 people together to come up with a lie and have all of them stick with it to their death? Somebody's going to talk. What is in it for them otherwise? They saw Jesus. They knew it was Jesus risen from the dead. It says in 1 Corinthians that 500 people saw him in the period between his resurrection and ascension. In a court case... You need two viable witnesses that are saying the same thing to make something land. There was hundreds of people that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And in case we go down the chronological snobbery path for a moment, these people actually knew about death way more than we do. We've sanitized death. We don't think about it. We're not around it very often. We send people away, unfortunately, many times to die. These people, it was in their homes. It was in their communities. 
all the time. They were very familiar with death and what that was. So it's clear that these people saw something. They saw the risen Jesus, and they interacted with it. The third one is, so there's a swoon theory that he faked it. There's, they stole the body, which it doesn't really add up. There's also the third point, which is there was some sort of mass hallucination going on. The people just really, really wanted to believe that Jesus had been risen from the dead, so they all believed, or they all just hallucinated and, and saw it because they really wanted it to happen. The problem with that is that the Jewish people in those days had no grid for a risen, a dead and risen Messiah. They just didn't have that grid. They were expecting a Messiah king to come and overthrow the government that had them oppressed and then would reign there forever. That was their grid. They weren't expecting Jesus to be alive after he was dead. That's not what they were looking for. All saw the same thing as well over a prolonged period of time. It's not that those poor ancient people weren't as sophisticated as we are today. They saw something with their own eyes, and they all saw the same thing. So maybe right now you're just mulling this over, and you're in that place that Peter was, and you're just theorizing, you're thinking about it, you're looking at it. That's great. Keep going. You know, the, the argument of mass hallucination is it just doesn't work scientifically. Um, people have, have proven that one to be wrong. Never has there been 100 people hallucin hallucinate and see the exact same thing. Even if you drug a room maybe this size and you all start hallucinating, you're not going to see the same thing. It just doesn't work. So you keep theorizing and you keep digging and you keep looking and you eventually come to this point where, hmm, these people aren't crazy. These people aren't nuts. There's something here. Unfortunately, many stop outside and then walk away. Some come into this and get stuck in phase two here, the second kind of seeing, and unfortunately need to tie every piece together, which unfortunately 2,000 years later is going to be much harder to do, and we can't see Jesus today. But Peter was in this place, putting pieces together. And I just want to say that faith isn't a blind, dumb faith. Faith is a robust faith that looks at and comes to a conclusion that John does in a moment. In verse 8, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, again, just showing off, also went in, and he saw and believed. Again, that word saw, but again, a different Greek word. Okay? So we've had blepo, we've had theoreo, and now oreo. And this word oreo is used here. Three, three times we see the word saw. It's really hard to say. We see the word saw. It's three different words in the Greek. And it's oreo, and it means to perceive, to, to understand. He saw and he believed. There's this 
extra step that needed to be taken. We must also see, well, this morning, folks, Jesus, uh, here's, here's the stepping out from the outside of the tomb. Jesus is alive today. He's the Savior of the world, and he calls to you to repent and find life in him. So there, everybody here in this room is at phase one. He calls you to go a little bit closer and look at it. But not just there. He calls you to go to the point of seeing and believing. Seeing and understanding the evidence, which leads to Jesus, it doesn't always affect heart change, does it? I mean, we believe that the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, if you actually boil it down and look at it, it just makes sense. But it doesn't lead to that born-again life that Jesus actually talked about. That life in the spirit, that heart change, that transformation that he came to bring. That freedom from, honestly, ourselves. If Jesus is alive, it means he's out there somewhere. It means he's not dead. It means he's still alive. And he's out there somewhere. It means that if Jesus is alive, all that he has said is true, that he is God. It means that what he says goes. It means we must repent of sin and come to him for life. Not come to the, the theories, not come to the books, but come to him for life. So when you get to that point of like, okay, this makes sense, you have to then take that step and go to Jesus for life. And that looks like acknowledging that you need him. Acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Just like I shared at the beginning, I still am experiencing his forgiveness and his grace. We must repent of sin and come to him for life. It's so amazing how this story is written. Just, John just lays it out like it is. All the Gospels, they just lay it out like it is. If they were trying to fabricate some sort of amazing hero story, this is not the way to do it. This is not the ways to do it. Jesus, I just imagine, if they're trying to fake this, there is no other way to create a hero story than he is risen from the dead and goes marching right up to those who sentence him to death and makes a big show of it and convinces everybody. That's not what he does. He comes, and in those days, he comes to the most underappreciated and questioned people. First, he, first, the women got to see him. That is not the way to do it in a Jewish culture. In fact, people didn't believe at first because, well, you can't really trust a woman's judgment, can you? That's just the way the culture was. And now we see Jesus' value, obviously, for women. But we see that he's doing this not like anybody would have guessed. He's coming to those who love him and those whom he loves. <laughs> and he comes to his disciples. And he appears to others who were, who were seeing Jesus in the flesh. He doesn't come to overthrow the empire like so many people wanted to. 
but he came and radically transformed people. He ascended to the Father, and then he sent his Holy Spirit into those who believe. That his power would continue to go, that his message would continue to go around the world by self-giving love, not by violence or power moves, but by love and by a belief in Jesus that hearts are set free from the curse of sin. That's good news, folks. In fact, it got so amazing that lives were so radically transformed in Jesus' love that the Roman Empire was flipped on its head in only a couple hundred years. Not because of the next army coming in, but because these weird people of the way Christians kept loving people. There's power because Jesus is God and he's alive. And then he's alive in his people. Jesus has satisfied our questions. If we would stop, if we would see his truth, but deeper than that, deeper than that, and what has been the case for 2,000 plus years is that Jesus satisfies the soul. And it's been the experience of billions of people. And this morning, well, time change, today, billions of people around the world are going to look at similar passages, if not this passage, because Jesus has touched their hearts. There's something about this Jesus that is more than theory, that is more than just interesting ancient myth. He is present, and he can cause us to be born again of the Spirit. (laughs) We must come to that place of humility to say, yeah, it lines up. Jesus You can have my everything because you are God. You've proven it. Death had no hold on you. So church, all who believe in Jesus will rise again. Death has no hold on you anymore if you belong to Jesus. Right after this, if you keep reading in John, Jesus appears to Mary in, in person And she exclaims, I've seen the Lord. He appears to his disciples then, and he shows them his wounds. Firsthand, they see his scars. Thomas, who wasn't there that time, he was doubting. He said, no, I'm not going to believe it. Even though you guys are all saying, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. Well, he comes about a week later and, and sees it. And he declares Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God, And then Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen everybody in this room. Blessed are those who have not seen the physical Jesus and yet have believed. We don't see the first hand, but we do read the accounts and we do have the evidence of heart change all around us. We examine, and it all adds up, and we believe, and Christ dwells in our hearts and changes us radically. John wrote this. John wrote this account. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He was writing to people that didn't have the chance to see Jesus in the body. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So examine it. The Son of God. 
and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. And that life is the abundant and good life that Jesus promised that will last forever and ever and ever with him. By believing, by throwing your everything to trust this Lord, this living God, this Jesus of Nazareth, because he is God, you take him at every word that he has said. You can have life, abundant, free, and joyful. And it's not hype, it's the reality when he touches your heart. And when you give your heart willingly to him, you can be forever alive because Jesus is alive. Praise the Lord. Amen? That's exactly what we're going to do. I invite the worship team up. Jesus is alive. Maybe you're in this place. You're at point one. Don't turn away. Maybe this morning somebody dragged you here. Don't turn away. Go to number two. Start looking at this a little bit closer. Maybe you've been there in number two, and you just see that it actually adds up. It lines up. Things line up, and and it's just going to take a lot of humility to just say, okay, I'm throwing my life at this thing, Jesus. I want to be yours. When you're there, (laughs) it's life. For those of you who know life, which I know is most of us in this room, let's praise him because we're going to do that forever and ever anyways. Let's stand together. Burr. 